through this series, and if this is your uh, second or third time, the good news is you only have to watch that video one more time. Um, just watching that, I think, increases my stress level about 30%. And so just one more time, then we'll be done with this series. Um, if you haven't been here for the first couple of weeks, here's where we're at. In week one, uh, we, we kind of broke open this idea that a lot of our lives, especially in this day and age, are just crazy busy. And Ben unpacked one of the main reasons why we allow that to happen. And the reason is fear. Um, when we're afraid of failing in our career or if we're afraid of having our kids fail in their futures, um, the fear that we have will drive us to make our schedules busier and busier and busier and busier because we want to have control over what's going to happen. Um, but if you were here in week one, here's your quick test for you. Instead of fear, we should make our decisions based on Trust. There it is. There it is. Um, we, you can watch, listen to the sermons online, too, if, if you forget stuff. But uh, yeah, instead of driving us by fear, let's make our decisions based on trust. And just like David trusted God uh, to defeat this guy, uh, giant Goliath, uh, we can trust God to get us through life. It doesn't have to be based on fear. And then week two, what, what Ben did last week, it was this awesome illustration, I thought, so I wanted to bring it out again. It was all about priorities. And he, he envisioned this as the amount of time that we have in our lives. And the, the, the point is, he also had a jar of some smaller things. The point is, we have to get the big things in first, the important things in first. Because if we try to put the fun things or the not important things in first, there's not going to be room for the important things. And so one of the key things that he talked about, he even talked about one of these uh, important things, um, is to, to set our priorities, to set our schedules around what happens after our life or beyond our life. In other words, setting our lives on eternity. Whoops, just dropped one of my priorities there. <laughs> um, so this is the one that he talked a lot about last week, is focusing on God, focusing on what's beyond our life, and letting that be one of the things we talk about. Um, so I guess the question is today, I want to go off this same illustration. As you look at your life and the time that you have, what are some of those things that are absolutely essential and absolutely important? Like I said, last week, Ben talked about one of them, but I, but I want you to just think about it with an open mind here. If you could ask Jesus, if he stood here in front, or if you were having coffee with Jesus, and you said, Jesus, what is most important for my life? What should I get in here before anything else? What would Jesus tell you? Somebody actually asked Jesus that once. Not in the, the exact same words, but somebody came up to Jesus and he said, basically, Jesus, with my life, what's most important? What should I be doing? <clears throat> Here's how the phrase actually came up in the Bible. Um, is somebody came up to Jesus and said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? When I look at my life, what should be most important? What should I be doing? And the answer that Jesus gave maybe wasn't all that unexpected. When Jesus turned to that guy, he said, here's the most important thing. He said, first of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So right away, Jesus, there you go. Two points. And, and, and yet Jesus didn't stop it at this point. If, if you know this section, you know that. Jesus didn't stop by just saying, put God first and then you're good. Because Jesus understood, this is something he preached on often. If somebody loves God, there will be something else that follows closely behind. There will always be a second thing that follows closely. Jesus said, love the Lord your God. But there's got to be one other thing I throw in there. I got to throw in two. This is the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And today, this is what we're going to be talking about. This is what we're going to be focusing on. Love your neighbor as yourself. And each of us is in a unique situation. We all have unique opportunities to love our neighbor. Um, and so we're going to see how God does that today. As, as, we, as we do that, well, let's go ahead and put that up for the first fill-in here. The thing that we should make the high priority is loving relationships. That must be one of the things in our, in our schedules. And I'm saying this to people who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, who want to you know, understand that he's the Savior. If that is your way of thinking, then a priority must be loving relationships. Now, the, the question is, what's required for loving relationships? And this gets to the heart of this series. One thing is absolutely essential to have a loving relationship. Time. I accidentally stumbled across a quote this week. I wasn't even looking for this or researching for this, but it sort of just hit me. Someone uh, sent it to me, and the quote is this. It's, it's a book by, are we, are we doing okay? Oh, boy, we're freezing. That's okay. No? Okay. No, good. It's a book by John Ortberg. It's called The Life You've Always Wanted, and this is one of the key quotes from, from his book. He says, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. He says, love always takes time. That's so important. Love always, 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 always takes time. And here's the condemning part of it. Time is the one thing hurried people do not have. Ouch. The, the most common story in the New Testament, what does love mean? What does it mean to love my neighbor? Good Samaritan. That Samaritan, when he stopped by to help that guy in the road, that required time more than anything. And if he didn't have the time, if he had to be at his meeting for Samaritans Anonymous or whatever they go to back then, if he had to be at his meeting on time, he'd, sorry, I can't help you, he would have kept on moving. But he had time to show love. Time is absolutely necessary. So as, as we go forward here, I'm going to change this just a little bit. I want you to picture this as, as your, the amount of time necessary to love. If we're serious and serious about loving people in our lives, this is the amount of time that God wants us to have to set aside and to budget for it. I put this one away too early. We're kind of training our video crew today, so I'm just moving all over the place to make sure that they're on top of things. Um, anyway, um, so, so this is the amount of time God wants us to have for loving relationships. Now, I want to just ask some honest questions, and I'll give my honest feedback too. Do all of you feel like you have enough time for this? Do you have enough time with your, with your family, with your children, with your parents, with whatever it is? Do you have enough time in your schedule? Or do you feel more like this? Where maybe you get it. There's a few times throughout the day, throughout the weeks that you, you can spend some time, but you just don't feel like you're there. Now here's two truths two binary truths that kind of work together. We'll put them up on the screen here. Crazy, busy people don't have the time. They've already spent their time in other places, so when something comes up and when somebody needs them, it's like, well, I'll give you what I have, but I'm just sorry, I'm just terribly busy. 
and that's all you have to offer. Crazy busy people don't have the time. Let's look at the opposite. Crazy lazy people don't give the time because they've kept it for themselves or they've, they devoted it to something that's not important. So crazy lazy, we're kind of in the same category where there's just nothing to give. And when something comes up, we realize just how empty we are. Now, here's a truth that I kind of discovered as I thought about it, you know, which one am I? Here's what I discovered. I am both of them. I bounce back and forth so quickly from crazy busy to crazy lazy. I often stop anywhere in the middle and say, you know what, I need to budget some time here for people. I just bounce back and forth and back and forth. And maybe that's what you find in your life too. But I'm going to give you some honest questions to ask yourself. And, and actually, these are statements that we might tell other people or that we might tell ourselves as to why we're more like this instead of more like this. So these are, these are kind of warning signs. So if you keep on repeating promises to do better, you might be crazy busy. And, and we know what those promises. Maybe you're in a place in life where you're thinking, yeah, I, my dad was that. He kept making promises. Or, or if you're older, I can see myself. Yeah, I make promises. I tell my kids, I'll fix the toy later. I'll fix the toy tonight. We can spend time playing whatever tonight. We'll play Monopoly later. You know, I say, I promise. I push it off. I push it off. We'll pr I'll, I'll promise. I promise to do better. The other condemning factor, you keep on being absent, chronically absent from all the important events. So much so that you are worried that you might be known as the person who was never there. And maybe you got anger because somebody that, in, that you should have been loved by, they should have had time for you, but they were kind of like this. They were never there for you. And so you got some anger over that. Um, here's the last warning sign. This is the one I think is so big for us today. You point to the future to make up for the past. This is so common, so common. And I think it's most common in working family um, scenarios where, where mom or dad, they're working their way up, at the, up the company. You, you can't go backwards. You, you can't stay still. You got to keep wor working, working, working. And you're missing events. You're chronically absent. You're making promises, but it's going to be better. I'm doing this for the family. And yeah, I know I'm kind of empty right now, but the reason I'm empty is because I'm going to make things better for us in the future. And that is so common, I think, for us today. That's a big lie that we all buy into. All of these things, by the way, all three of these things, they all say the same thing. They all say, I know I'm kind of like this, but it's just a phase. This is just a short phase in life where I'm sorry, but it has to be this way. I'm sorry, I, I love you, but I just got to put my time somewhere else. It's just a phase. It'll be over soon, and, and we'll move on. And that's kind of what we believe and what we say. Does Jesus say, make promises for the future? Does Jesus say it's okay to be chronically absent from the people that you love? Or does he say that your future plans make up for being empty today? Here's the thing. God didn't just give you money and possessions and a house and food. He didn't just give you those things. God gave you more than anything else, time. He gave all of us an equal amount of it. And when he looks at this relationship cup and he sees it is empty, what should he do? 
I would just get rid of all the time altogether. I'd say, you're done. If, if you're going to waste my time, you're not worthy of it. Here's the amazing thing. When you keep on doing these things, here's what God keeps on doing. God keeps on emphasizing a promise that he actually kept. You see that throughout, the, especially Old Testament, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, I mean, those prophets just laid it into the people. They're like, you are scum, you're horrible, you've messed it up, you're empty before God. But then they would always say, but God has a promise to forgive you. And all throughout our lives, when we see how we're chronically absent for others and, and we're, we're hurt by that, and we're saying, God, you should be absent from me. Here's how God reacts. God keeps on being predictably present, no matter what. Just like the prodigal son's father was waiting for him, God's always there. And here's the big one. Instead of pointing to your future and saying, God saying, okay, well, you can do better tomorrow or shape up and, and then we'll fix things, God says, that's not how we fix things. Rather, you point, he points to the cross to address what happened in the past. And this, this is such a huge thing for us because I, I know, me especially, you know, as, as a father, I mean, my kids are only three, five, and seven. They're not even in the sports range yet. We're not even doing stuff on the weekends. And I already feel like there's times when I'm more like this for them or more like this for my wife. And I'm thinking, I need to be better. But God says, that's not how you're better. He points to the cross to address what happened in the past. In fact, here's, here's the really amazing thing. You know, this is us. We're confined. We have finite limits of time that we're able to hold. God is eternal. Time doesn't matter to him. It's, it's not something that he's confined to. But in order to do that last thing, in order to point you to the cross, he had to become this. He entered time, full of time. When the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. And though he was full and in, in full nature God, in, in every way God, he didn't consider equality with God something to throw around and something to use to his advantage, but rather he emptied himself. This is going to be loud and I might miss a few, that's okay. He emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, emptied himself on the cross so that he could fill you up. Now, I know, I know, as we look back, we have anger over people who haven't been there for us. And as we look back, we have guilt over how we haven't been there for them. But this is the way that God moves forward. He fills you up in Christ. I don't want past patterns to hinder your future plans. Let the cross do that. Let the cross fill it up. And, and by the one thing that we always say, well, it's just a phase, it's just a phase, we'll get better, we'll get better. No. Well, yeah, it is actually just a phase that you're in right now. This is just a phase that will be over soon. And you know what? This is a phase that across the board, this is a phase that God is, is, is having some unique opportunities, not just to build you up, but he's giving you unique opportunities to impact the lives of one another. And so as you go forward, okay, this is our new standard. This is who we are in Christ. Where we're at now is just a phase. So you know what? Let's not miss it. Let's look at the way that God fills us up for today and tomorrow, and let's not miss the opportunities that he has in store for us. Um, so this brings up a very good question, I'm sure. You're asking yourself, but I'm a kid, I'm, a, I'm retired, you know, anywhere in between. You might be asking yourself, what good or what opportunity could God possibly have in my phase right now? And I've got one question that will help you answer that. One question that if you really take time to, to 
think about it and answer it, it will help you say, this is the purpose God has for this phase, and I don't want to miss it. The question is this, what is unique to you? What are the roles that you fill that are absolutely 100% unique so that if you disappeared tonight, the role would not be filled by anybody else? And there aren't many of them, are there? Um, my, my unique roles, I have two unique roles, at least that I was able to think of. One of my unique roles is that I am the first husband of Amy. Maybe someday I'll, I'll die, maybe someday she'll have a second husband, but I'm the only first husband that she'll ever have, I'm the best one too. The other thing that makes me unique is that I am the father of my three children. They will never ever have another father other than me. So that's my second unique role. Now I have lots of other roles and lots of other important roles too. For example, I'm the pastor of a church with about 700 members. And each week there's stuff going on, there's, there's programs, there's environments, um, we've got middle school stuff, high school stuff, we've got Sunday stuff, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on, and I've got 700 people to help. 700 people that are looking at me, and next door I have four. So you can see this presents some tension in my life, and, and again, you can, you can fit this into your own context, but for me, this has been a, such a big struggle. To what degree do I say this is my important role, and, and I look next door at my family, and I say, but that's my unique role. So here's how I phrase it. These words actually come from a different pastor, but when I heard him say these words, I'm like, wow, that is totally me. These are the words that, that he said and I totally bought into. This is what I thought for so long, and this is kind of the natural way I think. I say, Lord, please take care of things at home while I take care of things at church. Lord, things are just so important at church and things are just moving so quickly and everything's going on. I need to spend extra time at church this week or today or whatever it is. So God, I'm going to be working. I'm going to do kingdom work. I just need you to take care of things at home. And I, and I know it's a stress. I know whatever. But I just need you to take care of things over there while I take care of things here. Does that sound bad? Some of you might say that sounds Right? for the needs of 675 or 700 people, whatever, shouldn't this carry more weight? Until, until I start to think, somebody else will stand here one day instead of me. Whether I go somewhere else or whether I die or I retire, whatever, someday I won't be standing on this platform talking to people. Somebody else can do this. But nobody else can be the first husband to Amy and the father of my children. So I, I, I adjusted this a little bit, and here's the way it looks now. Lord, please take care of things at work while I take care of things at home. This doesn't mean I only spend like five hours a week at work. <laughs> ben was kind of concerned in the second service. Like, whoa. <laughs> That's not what it means. What it means is it's a shift in priorities. Where in my mind I've said, you know what? The most important priority for me is to be a husband and a father. And there's other important stuff it's going to get done, but number one has been set. So the question for you, what are your unique roles and how does that look for you? Um, because once you identify what's unique to you, that will set, set the standard for what you spend your time on. Um, here's fill in number three. Don't trade what's unique to you for something somebody else will do. There's only one of you to fill certain roles, and there's many people who could do other things. 
set those priorities and get them straight. So I, I applied that, that to um, families and to working families, and, and I know most of you can relate to that. Um, we're going to apply this a little broader to just looking at how can we reestablish the priorities of where we should be spending our time according to what's unique to us. So as we go forward, there's a few more passages, a few more lines from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And as he, as he addresses some of their unique phases in life, he, he, you can almost hear him saying, look, you're in a unique phase right now, so don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. And so as, as we go forward, we're going to um, talk about um, children. And so if you're a child here today, if you're a child, if you're a child, raise your hand real quick. If you're a child, all right, there you go, Danny. Okay, so we got a few children, and, and, and you, go, you get into, a, like, high school. I'm not really a child, but I'll raise my hand. I, I get it. You're still in the household of your parents, so you're still a child. So children, this section is just for you, just for you. So parents, you can't listen. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And you, you do that already, right? We can just move on, yeah? Um, Paul says something interesting. He said, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents as you obey the Lord. How do you obey the Lord? I obey the Lord because I don't always see things the way he sees them. I don't know everything he knows. I don't understand why he, he wants me to do sometimes the thing that he wants me to do. But I obey him because I trust he knows better. Kids, guess what? Your parents just might know more than you. <laughs> they might know a thing or two that, that you don't understand, and you won't always understand why they ask you to do the things that you do, but just trust me on this. They do it for your good. So children, obey your parents as you obey the Lord. This is the right thing to do. Paul goes, he's like, you know what, kids, this isn't enough. He's going to keep you engaged for one more, one more uh, thing here. He says, honor your father and mother. He's quoting an Old Testament commandment. And he says, you know what? This is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. You know what that means? It means if you honor your father and mother, God promises something will happen. And the promise is this. It will go well with you. Life will be good because, you know what? Adults know what's going on and they can direct you. They can guide you. If you honor them, if you open yourself up to the possibility that they know what they're talking about, Life will be better. And the second part is you might actually live. <laughs> You'll live longer. Um, that's what the whole broccoli thing is about. But that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So, so, so children, this is your phase of life right now. You have a limited amount of time that you will be in the household of your parents. And I guarantee you someday you'll be looking back and saying, I wish I could just have one more day. One more day with mom. One more day with dad. But these days... Will soon be gone. So, parent, uh, so uh, children, this is just a phase. Don't miss it. Uh, the next part is a lot harder. Uh, Paul moves on to parents, and he starts off by saying fathers, but I want you to understand mothers are under the umbrella of fathers, so we're just going to say parents. So Paul writes, parents, do not exasperate your children. Now, the, the, the Bible's been translated so many times into modern language, I still have no idea why the word exasperate has survived this long. Every time I read this, I have to look up what does exasperate mean. Exasperate means to make angry. Or as you look at the Greek word, a literal translation, or the best English word I could find for it is infuriate. 
And we can talk all day about the fun ways that parents can infuriate their children. Sometimes I do it just to have fun. I call it life lessons. I'm like testing them. Hey, you know, I, I just push them over the edge um, in, in a nice way. So we could talk about all sorts of different ways we could infuriate our children and have fun doing it. But, but here's the thing. I don't want to you know, get sidetracked on what I think it means to make my kids angry. What was Paul getting at? What was he getting at? And here's how he does it. He says, don't exasperate, don't infuriate them, but rather, then he states the opposite, which really helps us understand it. Don't infuriate, but rather build them up. Or literally, nurture them, nurse them, feed them. And how long does that take? A day? Done? No, it takes a long time. You see, the whole do not infuriate versus build them up, the infuriate means you just throw so much on them that they can't bear it. The nurture is what we need to focus on. So as, as you look at this demonstration up here, I want you to picture, th uh, this is for parents, um, I want you to picture this as the amount of time you have with your kids. This represents the time from the time they're born to the time that they leave for college. And there's about a thousand weeks that you have, which seems like a lot, but it goes by quickly. Here's how the thousand weeks go by. Um, so you, you bring the baby home. We'll start slow. You bring the baby home, and you start to realize, oh, my goodness, they actually trust me with a living being. This is not smart. Where's the guidebook? And, you know, there's this, this, all this stuff going on. And a few days, a few weeks go by, and people say, oh, it's just a baby. Enjoy this phase while it lasts. And you're thinking, you're crazy. I don't like this phase. It's horrible. It's, it poops. It, it cries. It doesn't let me sleep. This is a horrible phase. But by the way, those people, theirs is already empty. Theirs is empty. So they're saying, look, this, it's, just enjoy this phase while it lasts. So anyway, we, let's get moving here. So, we, so um, child turns one year old, two years old, three, four, five. Um, they get to the point of preschool. All right, They're finally out of the house for a few hours a day at least. And this is how much time you have left. About a fourth of the time is gone that you have with your kid. And, and this stage of life and this phase of life, it is so important for us simply to embrace our kids. What they need at this stage is to know that they're safe, to know that they're taken care of, and to know that they're loved. And to build them up in the Lord means that you're showing them how God loves them and how God keeps them safe. And then they quickly move on to second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. Oh my goodness, time is flying by. And this is how much time you have left by the time they enter sixth grade. But as you get into those middle grades, um, um, third, fourth, fifth, that's, that's such an important time because kids need to be shown that they can engage, engage, engage. Um, they're looking for ways to engage this world, to discover things for the first time, and we need to show them who God is that he's a God of love. We need to show them that their sins deserve to be punished, but Jesus took that punishment away from them. We need to engage them with these discovery things. That's what gets them at this age. And then they get into sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Time's flying by. But during those years, that's so important because during those middle school years, kids are just asking questions like, who am I? Who likes me? Who do I like? And this whole identity thing starts to haunt them where some kids just get lost in it and they don't know where they're going. Um, but finally, what we need to do is affirm, 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 affirm. Affirm to them that they're loved, that they're important, and it's okay. They're going to find their way through this, and God will help them. 
that our identity is tied to Jesus. We need to affirm that for our middle school kids. And you're starting to see here, my goodness, this is what's left when you have high school. This is all the time that you have left. In ninth grade, in 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, what we need to do is really mobilize our kids. To show them that the things they learned up to this point aren't just for head knowledge. We want them to put their faith into practice. And so through high school, that's what we try to do. But ninth grade, ninth grade is a fun year, kind of. Ninth grade, it flies by. It's like, oh, it's a new environment, a new high school. I get to make new friends. This is great. You know, I'm still a kid. I can have fun, whatever. Tenth grade is really interesting. Tenth grade is when teen suicides peak. Did you know that? 10th grade is when they peak because that is such a tough year for high school students. That's the year when they realize I'm not a kid anymore. That's the year they realize there's a lot of pressure to fit in, to find my group. So much pressure to get the good grades. My grades might actually dictate my future at this point. And so much pressure is placed on our 10th graders. We need to mobilize them and say, your faith is something to put into action. 11th grade. So much pressure to get good grades at this point. They take the SATs. They take all these tests, and everything in their future is riding on this point. And high school years are flying by, but they enter 12th grade. And here's the interesting thing that happens in 12th grade. There's this magical day where they realize mom and dad actually know something. I've got to figure out my future. They kind of know some stuff about adult world, and so there's this marvelous day that goes by. It's like, wow, mom and dad know something. And parents are like, what is this? Whose child are you? But there's that marvelous day in 12th grade. But they're getting ready for the world. they got to make decisions about, high school, about college and about what they're going to do with their lives. And so, so much time spent on that, time spent on summer jobs and weekday jobs. And, and finally, you realize that their high school is over. And next is college. I remember this clearly when I was leaving for college. There's those last few days, last few weeks that you drop. That's an important one. Don't lose these. And, and there's that last day. I still see my mom's, my mom's eyes through the window. I'm pulling out, headed for college, and she's sitting there crying. And you're done. Kids are off. Along the way, we're so tempted to say, well, it's just a phase, and we just got to get through it. It's just a phase, whatever. And you're right. It's just a phase. It's going to be so short so short, so let's not miss it. As followers of Jesus, we recognize there are two very important truths that we need to share with our kids, we need to share with others, that to follow God, to follow Jesus means to love one another. It's just a phase, so don't miss it. Here's number four, discover the many ways God works in every phase and discover the ways he works through you. And here's where you're going to be challenged here. How do we take a step forward then? What do we do? Whatever phase you're in, you've you got to figure, what's, what's your unique role? What is it that nobody else can be doing except for you? And you start to prioritize that. And here's how you start to then make sense of it. You say, but Matt, you don't know. You don't know how hard it is to make time for this stuff. And I, I know, I know. I'm not saying it's easy. But the solution here is, we think the solution, the solution is, well, we just need more time. We just need to add a few extra hours a day, maybe a loose, whatever. We think more time is the answer, but you know what? More time is not the solution to this. Not at all. Because if you had more time, you know what you'd do with it? You'd use it. 
You'd spend it. You'd fill it up. More time is not the answer. The answer is to understand why God gave you this time to begin with. Why did he put you in this phase? And don't miss it. So two easy steps for you on your way home today. First of all, as you've been listening to this message, you're thinking, there's one easy thing I could be doing. I should have been doing a a year ago, a month ago, whatever. Um, You know what that thing is. It's change it. Whether it's an app on your phone that drains your time, whether it's something that you could easily change with your work schedule, change it. Start saying to yourself, you know what, to, to invest in these relationships is worth it. And then what I also recognize is that there are some, some uh, phases in life and some stages where we can't easily change things, where it's going to take some strategic planning. Um, I talked to, to one couple last week who said, you know what, we're in a place in life right now where we got two, both of them are working, they got small kids, they said, you know what, this, we can't do this anymore. They're going to transition to a single income family. That takes some planning. And it takes some tact if you need to talk to your boss and say, hey, I can't do this anymore. So plan that out. I guarantee you, as you look at these priorities in your life, and as you look at the phase you're in right now, you won't want to miss it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much in life that can overwhelm us. And I know that coming into this talk, as I prepared for this message, there was so much I had to wrestle with and some decisions I need to make also to improve the way that I fill the unique roles in my life. Um, So I pray for your strength through that, and I acknowledge that many of us today are going through similar things. Um, as, As we look back at patterns of the past, don't let them be a template for the future. Don't let us be bound by the bad decisions we made before, but fill us up with your forgiveness so that we can make new decisions to please you and to love one another in the future. So bless us and help us make the most of every phase in Jesus' name. We also join in the prayer that he taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.